The Acts of the Apostles The first book which I wrote, Theophilus, was concerned with all that Jesus set out to do and teach until the day came when he was taken up into heaven. He then laid a charge by the power of the Holy Spirit on the apostles whom he had chosen. He had shown them by many proofs that he was still alive after his passion. Throughout the course of forty days he had been appearing to them and telling them about the kingdom of God. And now he gave them orders, as he shared a meal with them, not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the fulfillment of the Father's promise. You have heard it, he said, from my own lips. John's baptism, I told you, was with water. But there is a baptism with the Holy Spirit, which you are to receive, not many days from this. And his companions asked him, Lord, dost thou mean to restore the dominion to Israel here and now? But he told them, It is not for you to know the times and seasons which the Father has fixed by his own authority. Enough for you that the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you will receive strength from him. You are to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and throughout Judea, in Samaria, yes, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, they saw him lifted up, and a cloud caught him away from their sight. And as they strained their eyes towards heaven to watch his journey, all at once two men in white garments were standing at their side. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking heavenwards? He who has been taken from you into heaven, this same Jesus, will come back in the same fashion, just as you watched him going into heaven. Then, from the mountain which is called Olivet, they went back to Jerusalem. The distance from Jerusalem is not great, a Sabbath day's journey. Coming in, they went up into the upper room where they dwelt, Peter and John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot, and Judas, the brother of James. All these, with one mind, gave themselves up to prayer, together with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the rest of the women, and his brethren. At this time, Peter stood up and spoke before all the brethren. A company of about a hundred and twenty were gathered there. Brethren, he said, there is a prophecy in Scripture that must needs be fulfilled, that which the Holy Spirit made by the lips of David about Judas, who showed the way to the men that arrested Jesus. Judas was counted among our number and had been given a share in his ministry of ours. With the price of his treachery, this man came into possession of a field, and afterwards, when he fell from a height and his belly burst open so that he was disemboweled, all Jerusalem heard of it, and the field came to be called in their language Hakeldama, that is, the field of blood. There's a footnote here by Monsignor Knox, which I'll read out. These words, this last sentence I read, may be part of St. Peter's speech, but are more easily understood as a note by the author. From a comparison of them with Matthew chapter 27, verse 5 and following, where it says that he hanged himself, it must be inferred that Judas attempted to hang himself by jumping over the edge of a precipice and that the rope broke or slipped with the result here described. The text goes on with St. Peter still speaking. Well, in the book of Psalms the words are written, Let their camping place be deserted, and let no man be found to dwell in it. And again, let another take over his office. There are men who've walked in our company 
all through the time when the Lord Jesus came and went among us, from the time when John used to baptize to the day when he, Jesus, was taken from us. One of these ought to be added to our number as a witness of his resurrection. So they named two of them, Joseph, called Barsabbas, who had been given the fresh name of Justice, and Matthias, and they offered this prayer. Lord, who knows the hearts of all men, show us which of these two thou hast chosen to take his place in this work of apostleship from which Judas has fallen away and gone to the place which belonged to him. They gave them lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he took rank with the eleven apostles. When the day of Pentecost came round, while they were all gathered together in unity of purpose, all at once a sound came from heaven like that of a strong wind blowing, and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then appeared to them what seemed to be tongues of fire, which parted and came to rest on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in strange languages, as the Spirit gave utterance to each. Among those who were dwelling in Jerusalem at this time were devout Jews from every country under heaven. So when the noise of this went abroad, the crowd which gathered was in bewilderment. Each man severally heard them speak in his own language, and they were all beside themselves with astonishment. Are they not all Galileans speaking? they asked. How is it that each of us hears them talking his own native tongue? There are Parthians among us, and Medes, and Elamites, our homes in Mesopotamia or Judea or Cappadocia, in Pontus or Asia, Phrygia or Pamphylia, Egypt or the parts of Libya around Cyrene. Some of us are visitors from Rome, some of us are Jews and others proselytes. There are Cretans among us too and Arabians, and each has been hearing them tell of God's wonders in his own language. So they were all beside themselves with perplexity and asked one another, What can this mean? There were others who said mockingly, They've had their fill of new wine. But Peter, with the eleven apostles at his side, stood there and raised his voice to speak to them. Men of Judea, he said, and all you who are dwelling in Jerusalem, I must tell you this, listen to what I have to say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It is only the third hour of the day. This is what was foretold by the prophet Joel. In the last times, God says... I will pour out my Spirit upon all mankind, and your sons and daughters will be prophets. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And I will pour out my Spirit in those days upon my servants and handmaids, so that they will prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs on the earth beneath, blood and fire and whirling smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before the day of the Lord comes, great and glorious." And then, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man duly accredited to you from God. Such were the miracles and wonders and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves well know. This man you have put to death. By God's fixed design and foreknowledge, he was betrayed to you, and you, through the hands of sinful men, have cruelly murdered him. But God raised him up again, releasing him from the pangs of death. It was impossible that death should have the mastery over him. It is in his person that David says, Always I can keep the Lord within sight. Always he is at my right hand to make me stand firm. 
So there's gladness in my heart and rejoicing on my lips. My body too shall rest in confidence that thou wilt not leave my soul in the place of death or allow thy faithful servant to see corruption. Thou hast shown me the way of life. Thou wilt make me full of gladness in thy presence. My brethren, I can say this to you about the patriarch David without fear of contradiction, that he did die and was buried and his tomb is among us to this day. But he was a prophet, and he knew God had promised him on oath that he would set the sons of his body upon his throne. It was of the Christ, he said, foreseeing his resurrection, that he was not left in the place of death, and that his body did not see corruption. God, then, has raised up this man, Jesus, from the dead. We are all witnesses of it. And now, exalted at God's right hand, he has claimed from his Father his promise to bestow the Holy Spirit, and he has poured out that Spirit, as you can see and hear for yourselves. David never went up to heaven, and yet David has told us, The Master said to my Master, Sit on my right hand, while I make thy enemies a footstool under thy feet. Let it be known then, beyond doubt, to all the house of Israel, that God has made him Master and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. When they heard this, their consciences were stung, and they asked Peter and his fellow apostles, Brethren, what must we do? Repent, Peter said to them, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, to have your sins forgiven. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and for your children, and for all those, however far away, whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And he used many more words besides, urgently appealing to them, Save yourselves, he said, from this false-minded generation. So all those who taken his words to heart were baptized, and about three thousand souls were one for the Lord that day. These occupied themselves continually with the apostles' teaching, their fellowship in the breaking of bread, and the fixed times of prayer. And every soul was struck with awe, so many were the wonders and signs performed by the apostles in Jerusalem. All the faithful held together and shared all they had, selling their possessions and their means of livelihood so as to distribute to all as each had need. They persevered with one accord day by day in the temple worship, and as they broke bread in this house or that, took their share of food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and winning favor with all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship others that were to be saved. Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, which is an hour of prayer, when a man was carried by who had been lame from birth. Every day he was put down at what is called the beautiful gate of the temple, so that he could beg alms from the temple visitors. And he asked Peter and John, as he saw them on their way into the temple, if he might have alms from them. Peter fastened his eyes on him, as John did too, and said, Turn towards us. And he looked at them attentively, hoping that something would be given him. Then Peter said to him, Silver and gold are not mine to give. I give thee what I can. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. So, taking him by his right hand, he lifted him up. And with that, strength came to his feet and ankles. He sprang up and began walking and went into the temple with them, walking and leaping and giving praise to God. And all the people, as they saw him walking and praising God, recognized him for the man who used to sit begging at the beautiful gate of the temple, 
and were full of wonder and bewilderment at what had befallen him. And he would not let go of Peter and John, so that all the crowd gathered about them in what is called Solomon's porch, beside themselves with wonder. Peter, when he saw it, addressed himself to the people. Men of Israel, he said, why does this astonish you? Why do you fasten your eyes on us, as if we'd enabled him to walk through some power or virtue of our own? It is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of our forefathers, who has thus brought honour to his son Jesus. You gave him up and disowned him in the presence of Pilate, when Pilate's voice was for setting him free. You disowned the holy, the just, and asked for the pardon of a murderer while you killed the author of life. But God has raised him up again from the dead, and we are here to bear witness of it. Here is a man you all know by sight, who has put his faith in that name, and that name has brought him strength. It is the faith which comes through Jesus that has restored him to full health in the sight of you all. Come then, brethren, I know that you, like your rulers, acted in ignorance. But God has fulfilled in this way what was foretold by all the prophets about the sufferings of his Christ. Repent then, and turn back to him, to have your sins effaced, against the day when the Lord sees fit to refresh our hearts. Then he will send out Jesus Christ, who has now been made known to you, but must have his dwelling place in heaven, until the time when all is restored anew, the time which God has spoken of by his holy prophets from the beginning. Thus Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like myself, from among your own brethren. To him, to every word of his, you must listen. It is ordained that everyone who will not listen to the voice of that prophet shall be lost to his people. And all the prophets who spoke to you from Samuel onwards have foretold those days. You are the heirs of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers when he said to Abraham, Every race on earth shall receive a blessing through thy posterity. It is to you first of all that God has sent his Son, whom he raised up from the dead, to bring you a blessing, to turn away every one of you from his sins. Before they had finished speaking to the crowd, they were interrupted by the chief priests, the temple superintendent, and the Sadducees. These, indignant at their teaching the multitude and proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, laid hands on them and put them in prison, for it was already evening until the next day. Meanwhile, many of those who had listened to their preaching had joined the believers, so that their numbers had now risen to five thousand men. On the next day, there was a gathering of the rulers and elders and scribes in Jerusalem. The high priest Annas was there, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all those who belonged to the high priestly family. And they had Peter and John brought into their presence, and asked them, By what power, in whose name, have such men as you done this? Then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit, and said to them, Rulers of the people, elders of Israel, Listen to me. If it is over kindness done to a cripple and the means by which he has been restored that we are called in question, here is news for you and for the whole people of Israel. You crucified Jesus Christ the Nazarene, and God raised him from the dead. It is through his name that this man stands before you restored. He is that stone rejected by you, the builders, that has become the chief stone at the corner. Salvation is not to be found elsewhere. 
this alone, of all the names under heaven, has been appointed to men as the one by which we must needs be saved. Seeing the boldness of Peter and John, in discovering that they were simple men without learning, they were astonished, and recognized them now as having been in Jesus' company. They could find no answer to make, with the man who had been healed standing there beside them. So they ordered them out of the council chamber and conferred together. What are we to do with these men? they asked. It is commonly known among all the people of Jerusalem that a notable miracle has been done by their means, and we are powerless to deny it. But the news must not spread any further. We must deter them by threats from preaching to anybody in this man's name again. So they called them in and warned them not to utter a word or to give any teaching in the name of Jesus. At this, Peter and John answered them, Judge for yourselves whether it would be right for us in the sight of God to listen to your voice instead of God's. It is impossible for us to refrain from speaking of what we have seen and heard. And they, after threatening them further, let them go. They could find no means of punishing them, because all the people were exclaiming at the astonishing circumstances of what had befallen. The man in whom this miracle of healing had taken place was more than forty years old. Now that they were set free, they went back to their company and told them all the chief priests and elders had said. And they, when they heard it, uttered prayer to God with one accord. Ruler of all, thou art the maker of heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. Thou hast said through thy Holy Spirit, by the lips of thy servant David our father, what means this turmoil among the nations? Why do the peoples cherish vain dreams? See how the kings of the earth stand in array, how his rulers make common cause against the Lord and his Christ. True enough, in this city of ours, Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel to aid them, made common cause against thy holy servant Jesus, so accomplishing all that thy power and wisdom had decreed. Look down upon their threats, Lord, now as of old. Enable thy servants to preach thy word confidently by stretching out thy hand to heal, and let signs and miracles be performed in the name of Jesus, thy holy Son. When they had finished praying, the place in which they had gathered rocked to and fro, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to preach the word of God with confidence. There was one heart and soul in all the company of believers. None of them called any of his possessions his own. Everything was shared in common. Great was the power with which the apostles testified to the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, and great was the grace that rested on them all. None of them was destitute. All those who owned farms or houses used to sell them and bring the price of what they had sold to lay it at the apostles' feet so that each could have what share of it he needed. There was a Levite called Joseph, a Cypriot by birth, to whom the apostles gave the fresh name of Barnabas, which means the man of encouragement. He had an estate which he sold and brought the purchase money to lay it at the apostles' feet. But there was a man called Ananias, who, with his wife Sapphira, sold an estate, 
and kept back some of the money with his wife's knowledge, only bringing a part of it to lay at the feet of the apostles. Whereupon Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has taken possession of thy heart, bidding thee defraud the Holy Spirit by keeping back some of the money that was paid thee for the land? Unsold, the property was thine. After the sale, the money was at thy disposal. What has put it into thy heart so to act? It is God, not man, thou hast defrauded. At these words, Ananias fell down and died, and a great fear came upon all those who heard it. So the young men rose up and took him up and carried him out to burial. It was about three hours later that his wife came in, knowing nothing of what had happened, and Peter said to her, Tell me, woman, was it for so much that you sold the estate? Yes, she said, for so much. Then Peter said to her, What is this conspiracy between you? to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test. Even now I hear at the door the footsteps of those who have been burying thy husband. They will carry thee out too. And all at once she fell at his feet and died, so that when the young men came in they found her a corpse and carried her out to bury her with her husband. Great fear came upon the church and upon all who heard the story and there were many signs and miracles done by the apostles before the people. They used to gather with one accord in Solomon's porch. No one else dared to join them, although the people held them in high honour, and the number of those who believed in the Lord, both men and women, still increased. But they used to bring sick folk into the streets, and lay them down there on beds and pallets, in the hope that even the shadow of Peter, as he passed by, might fall upon one of them here and there, and so they would be healed of their infirmities. From neighbouring cities too, the common people flocked to Jerusalem, bringing with them the sick and those who were troubled by unclean spirits, and all of them were cured. This roused the high priest and those who fought with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees. Full of indignation, they arrested the apostles and shut them up in a common jail. But in the night, an angel of the Lord came and opened the prison doors and led them out. Go, he said, and take your stand in the temple. Preach fully to the people the message of true life. So at his word they went into the temple at dawn and began preaching. Meanwhile the high priest and his followers met and summoned the council with all the elders of the Jewish people and they sent to the prison house to have them brought in. When they came to look in the prison, the officers could not find them there, so they went back and reported, We found the prison house locked up with all due care, and the guards at their posts before the door, but when we opened it, there was no one to be found within. At hearing this, the temple superintendent and the chief priests were at a loss to know what had become of them, until an eyewitness told them, The men you put in prison are standing in the temple, teaching the people there. So the superintendent and his officers went and fetched them, using no violence, because they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And they brought them in and bade them stand before the council, where the high priest questioned them. We warned you in set terms, he said, not to preach in this man's name, and you filled all Jerusalem with your preaching. You are determined to lay this man's death at our door. 
Peter and the other apostles answered, God has more right to be obeyed than men. It was the God of our fathers that raised up Jesus, the man you hung on a gibbet to die. It is God that has raised him up to his own right hand as the Prince and Saviour who is to bring Israel repentance and remission of sins. Of this we are witnesses, we and the Holy Spirit God gives to all those who obey him. On hearing this, they were cut to the quick and designed to kill them. But now one of the Pharisees in the council, a lawyer named Gamaliel, who was held in esteem by all the people, rose and bade them send the apostles out for a little. Then he said to them, Men of Israel, think well what you mean to do with these men. There was Theodas, who appeared in days gone by and claimed to be someone of importance and was supported by about 400 men. He was killed and all his followers were dispersed and came to nothing. And after him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the registration. He persuaded the people to rebel under his leadership, but he too perished and all his followers were scattered. And my advice is still the same. Have nothing to do with these men. Let them be. If this is man's design or man's undertaking, it'll be overthrown. If it's God's, you will have no power to overthrow it. You would not willingly be found fighting against God. And they fell in with his opinion. So they sent for the apostles, and after scourging them, let them go with a warning that they were not on any account to preach in the name of Jesus. And they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been found worthy to suffer indignity for the sake of Jesus' name. And every day, both in the temple and from house to house, their teaching and their preaching was continually of Jesus Christ. At this time, as the number of the disciples increased, complaints were brought against those who spoke Hebrew by those who spoke Greek. Their widows, they said, were neglected in the daily administration of relief. So the twelve called together the general body of the disciples and said, It is too much that we should have to forego preaching God's word and bestow our care upon tables. Come then, brethren, you must find among you seven men who are well spoken of, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, for us to put in charge of this business, while we devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of preaching. This advice found favour with all the assembly, and they chose Stephen, a man who was full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, who was a proselyte from Antioch. These they presented to the apostles, who laid their hands on them with prayer. By now, the word of God was gaining influence, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem was greatly increasing. Many of the priests had given their allegiance to the faith. And Stephen, full of grace and power, performed great miracles and signs among the people. There were those who came forward to debate with him. Some of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it is called, and of the Tyrrhenians and Alexandrians, and of those who came from Cilicia and Asia. But they were no match for Stephen's wisdom and for the spirit which then gave utterance. Thereupon they employed agents to say they had heard him speaking blasphemously of Moses and of God. 
Having thus roused the feelings of the people and of the elders and scribes, they set upon him and carried him off, and so brought him before the council. There they put forward false witnesses who declared, This man is never tired of uttering insults against the holy place and the law. We have heard him say that the Nazarene, Jesus, will destroy this place and will alter the traditions which Moses handed down to us. And all those who sat there in the council fastened their eyes on him and saw his face looking like the face of an angel. Then the high priest asked, Are these charges true? And he answered, Brethren and fathers, listen to me. When the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham, it was while he was still in Mesopotamia, before he took up his dwelling in Charan. Leave thy country, he said, and thy kindred, and come to the land to which I direct thee. So it was that he left the country of the Chaldeans and lived in Charan. It was only after his father's death that he was bidden to move thence into this land where you now dwell. There God gave him no inheritance, not so much as a foot's space. He only promised the possession of it to him and to his posterity after him, although at this time he had no child. And this is what God told him, that his descendants would live as strangers in a foreign land where they would be enslaved and ill-used for four hundred years. But I will pass judgment, the Lord said, on the nation which enslaves them, and at last they will escape and settle down to worship me here. Then he made a covenant with Abraham, the covenant that ordained circumcision. So it was that he became the father of Isaac, whom he circumcised seven days afterwards, and Isaac of Jacob, and Jacob of the twelve patriarchs. The patriarchs, out of jealousy, sold Joseph as a slave to be taken to Egypt. In Egypt, God was with him. He rescued him from all his afflictions, and won him favour and a name for wisdom with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all the royal household. And now a famine came upon all Egypt and Canaan, cruelly afflicting them, till our fathers could procure no food. So Jacob, hearing that there was corn in Egypt, sent out our fathers on their first journey. And on their second journey, Joseph made himself known to them, and Pharaoh learned about Joseph's kindred. Then Joseph sent for his father Jacob and for his family, seventy-five souls in all, and Jacob went down into Egypt, where he and our fathers died. They were removed afterwards to Sichem, and it was in the grave which Abraham had bought for a sum of money from the sons of Hamor, the man of Sichem, that they were buried. There's a footnote here which I'll read out. There is a discrepancy between this account and that given in Genesis which suggests either that St. Stephen's memory played him false in the course of an extempore speech or that there was some early corruption in the text. According to Genesis, Jacob was buried in the grave bought by Abraham at Hebron, not at Sichem. Joseph was buried at Sichem. The text goes on. And when the time drew near for the fulfilment of the promise which God had made to Abraham, the people had increased and multiplied in Egypt. And now a new king arose in Egypt, one who knew nothing of Joseph. 
This king dealt treacherously with our race, using them so ill that they exposed their children instead of rearing them. It was at this time that Moses was born, and finding favour with God, was brought up in his father's house for three months. Then, when he'd been exposed, he was rescued by Pharaoh's daughter, who adopted him as her son. Thus Moses was well trained in all the learning of the Egyptians. He was vigorous too in speech and in act. And now, when he'd reached forty years of age, it came into his mind to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. When he saw one of them being unjustly used, he came to the rescue and avenged the man who was wronged by killing the Egyptian. He expected them to understand, but they could not understand, that he was the means by which God was going to bring them deliverance. Next day he came in sight when two of them were quarrelling, and tried to restore peace between them. Sirs, he said, you are brethren, why do you inflict injury on one another? Whereupon the man who was doing his neighbour a wrong thrust him aside, asking, Who made thee a ruler and a judge over us? Art thou ready to kill me, as thou didst kill the Egyptian yesterday? And at that Moses fled, and lived as an exile in the land of Madian. It was there that two sons were born to him. Forty years later a vision came to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. A bush had caught fire, and an angel was standing among the flames. Moses saw it, and was astonished at the sight. And as he drew near to look, the voice of the Lord came to him, I am the God of thy fathers, of Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses did not dare to look close. Fear made him tremble. Then the Lord said to him, Take the shoes off thy feet. The place on which thou standest is holy ground. The affliction of my people in Egypt is before my eyes continually. I have heard their lamenting, and have come down to deliver them. Come now, I have an errand for thee in Egypt. It was this same Moses, the man whom they had disowned, and asked him, Who made thee a ruler and a judge over us? That God sent to be their ruler and their deliverer, helped by the angel whom he saw there at the bush. He it was who led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness over a space of forty years. It was this Moses who said to the children of Israel, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like myself from among your own brethren. To him you must listen. He it was who took part with the angel that spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our fathers at the meeting in the desert. There he received words of life to hand on to us, and yet our fathers would not give him obedience. They disowned him, they turned their thought towards Egypt, and said to Aaron, Make us gods, to lead our march. As for this Moses, who brought us out of the land of Egypt, there's no saying what has become of him. So they fashioned a calf at this time, making offerings to an idol, and keeping holiday over the works of their own hands. Whereupon God turned away from them, and gave them over to the worship of all the host of heaven. So it is written in the book of the prophets, Is it true that you brought me victims and sacrifices, you sons of Israel, for forty years in the wilderness? You carried about the tent of Moloch, and the star of your god Rempham, and worshipped them, images of your own fashioning. And now I will send you into exile on the further side of Babylon." 
In the wilderness, our fathers had the tabernacle with them to remind them of God's covenant. He who spoke to Moses bade him fashion it after the model which had been shown him. And when God dispossessed the Gentiles to make room for our fathers' coming, our fathers under Joshua brought this tabernacle as an heirloom into the land which they conquered. So it was until the time of David. David, who had won favor in God's sight, longed to devise a resting place for the God of Israel. But in the end, it was Solomon that built the house for him. Yet we are not to think that the Most High dwells in temples made by men's hands. The prophet says, Heaven is my throne, and earth is the footstool under my feet. What home will you build for me, says the Lord? What place could be my resting place? Was it not my hands that made all this? Stiff-necked race, your heart and ears still uncircumcised. You are forever resisting the Holy Spirit, just as your fathers did. There was not one of the prophets they did not persecute. It was death to foretell the coming of that just man whom you in these times have betrayed and murdered, you who received the law dictated by angels and did not keep it. At hearing this, they were cut to the heart and began to gnash their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, fastened his eyes on heaven and saw there the glory of God and Jesus standing at God's right hand. I see heaven opening, he said, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried aloud and put their fingers into their ears. With one accord they fell upon him, thrust him out of the city, and stoned him. And the witnesses put down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Thus they stoned Stephen. He, meanwhile, was praying, Lord Jesus, he said, receive my spirit. And then, kneeling down, he cried aloud, Lord, do not count this sin against them. And with that he fell asleep in the Lord. Saul was one of those who gave their voices for his murder. The church in Jerusalem was much persecuted at this time, and all except the apostles were scattered about over the countryside of Judea and Samaria. Stephen was buried by devout men who mourned greatly over him. Saul, meanwhile, was making havoc of the church. He made his way into house after house, carrying men and women off and committing them to prison. Those who had been driven away spread the gospel as they went from place to place. And Philip, who had gone down to one of the cities of Samaria, preached Christ there. The multitude listened with general accord to what Philip said, as their own eyes and ears witnessed the miracles he did. There were many possessed by unclean spirits, and these came out crying aloud. Many, too, were healed of the palsy and of lameness, and there was great rejoicing in that city. And there was a man called Simon, who had been in the city before Philip came there, misleading the people of Samaria with sorcery, and pretending to have great powers, so that high and low hung upon his words. This, they said, is an angel called the great angel of God. Long misled by his sorceries, they continued to pay attention to him until Philip came and preached to them about God's kingdom. Then they found faith and were baptized, men and women alike, in the name of Jesus Christ. 
and Simon, who had found faith and been baptized with the rest, kept close to Philip's side. He was astonished by the great miracles and signs he saw happening. And now the apostles of Jerusalem, hearing that Samaria had received the word of God, sent Peter and John to visit them. So these two came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, who had not as yet come down on any of them. They had received nothing so far except baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then the apostles began to lay their hands on them so that the Holy Spirit was given them. And Simon, seeing that the Holy Spirit was granted through the imposition of the apostles' hands, offered them money. Let me too, he said, have such powers that when I lay my hands on anyone, he will receive the Holy Spirit. Whereupon Peter said to him, Take thy wealth with thee to perdition, thou who hast told thyself that God's free gift can be bought with money. There is no share, no part for thee in these doings. Thy heart is not true in the sight of God. Repent of this baseness of thine, and pray to God in the hope of finding pardon for the thought which thy heart has conceived. I see plainly that a bitter poison has taken hold of thee. Thou art the bondsman of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord, that none of this harm you have spoken of may fall upon me. So when they had borne their full witness and preached the word of the Lord, they began their journey back to Jerusalem, carrying the gospel into many Samaritan villages. Meanwhile, Philip was commanded by an angel of the Lord, Rise up and go south to meet the road which leads from Jerusalem to Gaza, out in the desert. So he rose up and went, and found there an Ethiopian. This man was a eunuch, a courtier of Candace, queen of Ethiopia, and had charge of all her wealth. He had been up to worship at Jerusalem, and was now on his way home, driving along in his chariot and reading the prophet Isaiah. The spirit said to Philip, Go up to that chariot and keep close by it. And Philip, as he ran up, heard him reading the prophet Isaiah, and asked, Canst thou understand what thou art reading? How could I, said he, without someone to guide me? And he entreated Philip to come up and sit beside him. The passage of scripture which he was reading was this. He was led away like a sheep to be slaughtered, like a lamb that is dumb before its shearer, he would not open his mouth. He was brought low, and all his rights taken away. Who shall tell the story of his age? His life is being cut off from the earth. And the eunuch turned to Philip and said, Tell me, about whom does the prophet say this, himself or some other man? Then Philip began speaking, and preached to him about Jesus, taking this passage as his theme. As they went on their way, they came to a piece of water, and the eunuch said, See, there is water here. Why may I not be baptized? Philip said, If thou dost believe with all thy heart, thou mayest. And he answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he had the chariot stopped, and both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water, and Philip baptized him there. But when they came up from the water, Philip was carried off by the Spirit of the Lord, and the eunuch did not see him any longer. He went on his way rejoicing. As for Philip, he was next heard of at Azotus. 
and from there he went preaching all round the villages until he reached Caesarea. Saul, with every breath he drew, still threatened the disciples of the Lord with massacre. And now he went to the high priest and asked him for letters of commendation to the synagogues at Damascus, so that he could arrest all those he found there, men and women, who belonged to the way, and bring them back to Jerusalem. Monsignor Knox has a footnote there on the expression who belonged to the way. He says, the way, that is, the Christian profession. I go on with the text. Then, on his journey, when he was nearly at Damascus, a light from heaven shone suddenly about him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why dost thou persecute me? Who art thou, Lord? he asked. And he said, I am Jesus, whom Saul persecutes. This is a thankless task of thine, kicking against the goad. And he, dazed and trembling, asked, Lord, what wilt thou have me do? Then the Lord said to him, Rise up and go into the city, and there thou shalt be told what thy work is. His companions stood in bewilderment, hearing the voice speak, but not seeing anyone. When he rose from the ground, he could see nothing, although his eyes were open, and they had to lead him by the hand to take him into Damascus. Here, for three days, he remained without sight, and neither ate nor drank. There was in Damascus a disciple named Ananias. To him the Lord called in a vision, Ananias. Here I am, Lord, he answered. And the Lord said to him, Rise up and go to the road called Straight Street and inquire at the house of Judas for a man of Tarsus named Saul. Even now he is at his prayers, and he's had vision of a man called Ananias coming in and laying hands on him to cure him of blindness. At this Ananias answered, Lord, many have told me about this man and all the hurt he has done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priests to imprison all those who call upon thy name. But the Lord said to him, Go on thy errand. This is a man I have chosen to be the instrument for bringing my name before the heathens and their rulers and before the people of Israel too. I have yet to tell him how much suffering he will have to undergo for my name's sake. So Ananias set out, and as soon as he came into the house, he laid his hands upon him and said, Brother Saul, I have been sent by that Lord Jesus who appeared to thee on thy way as thou camest here. Thou art to recover thy sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And with that, a kind of film fell away from his eyes, and his sight was recovered. He rose up and was baptized. And now, when he had taken food, his strength returned to him. For some days he lived with the disciples at Damascus, and from the first, in the synagogues, he preached that Jesus was the Son of God. All those who heard it were amazed. Why, they said, is not this the man who brought ruin on all those who invoked his name when he was in Jerusalem, the man who came here for the very purpose of arresting such people 
and presenting them to the chief priests. But Saul was inspired with ever greater strength and silenced the Jews who lived at Damascus by showing them clearly that this was the Christ. So many days passed, and then the Jews plotted against his life. Saul was aware of the plot, and since they kept watch over the gates day and night to make an end of him, the disciples contrived to let him down by night along the face of the wall, lowering him to the ground in a hamper. So he reached Jerusalem, where he tried to attach himself to the disciples, but they could not believe he was a true disciple, and all avoided his company. Whereupon Barnabas took him by the hand and brought him into the apostles, telling them how on his journey he had seen the Lord and had speech with him, and how at Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. So he came and went in their company at Jerusalem and spoke boldly in the name of the Lord. He preached besides to the Jews who talked Greek and disputed with them till they set about trying to take his life. As soon as they heard of this, the brethren took him down to Caesarea and put him on his way to Tarsus. Meanwhile, all through Judea and Galilee and Samaria, the church enjoyed peace and became firmly established, guided by the fear of God and filled with encouragement by the Holy Spirit. And now Peter, as he visited the saints everywhere, came down to see those who dwelt at Lydda. There he found a man called Aeneas, who had not left his bed for eight years, being palsied. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ sends thee healing. Rise up and make thy bed. Whereupon he rose up at once. All those who dwelt at Lydda and Saron came to see him, and their hearts turned to the Lord. And there was a disciple at Joppa called Tabitha, which means the same as Dorcas, a gazelle. She abounded in acts of charity and in alms deeds, and it so happened that at this time she fell sick and died, and they washed the body and laid it in an upper room. Since Lydda was close to Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to find him. Come to us, they urged him, without delay. So Peter rose and went with them, and when he came there, they took him into the upper room, where all the widows stood round him in tears, showing him the coats and cloaks which Dorcas used to make while she was among them. Peter sent them all out, and went on his knees to pray. Then, turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, rise up. And she opened her eyes and looked at Peter, and sat up on the bed. So he gave her his hand, and raised her to her feet. Then, calling in the saints and the widows, he showed her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many learned to believe in the Lord. He stayed in Joppa a number of days after this, lodging with a tanner, whose name was Simon. Chapter 10 There was at Caesarea a centurion named Cornelius, belonging to what is called the Italian cohort, a pious man who worshipped the true God like all his household, gave alms freely to the people, and prayed to God continually. 
He, about the ninth hour of the day, had a vision, in which he clearly saw an angel of God come in and address him by his name. What is it, Lord? he asked, gazing at him in terror. And he answered, Thy prayers and alms deeds are recorded on high in God's sight. And now he would have thee send men to Joppa to bring here one Simon, who is surnamed Peter. He lodges with a tanner called Simon, whose house is close to the sea. Thou wilt learn from him what thou hast to do. So the angel visitor left him, and thereupon he summoned two of his servants, and one of the soldiers who were in attendance on him, a man of piety. He told them all that had passed, and sent them on their way to Joppa. Next day, while these were on their journey, and were drawing near the city, Peter went up to the housetop about noon to pray there. He was hungry, and waiting for a meal. And while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opening, and a bundle like a great sheet, let down by its four corners onto the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed beasts, and things that creep on the earth, and all the birds of heaven. And a voice came to him, Rise up, Peter, lay about thee, and eat. It cannot be, Lord, answered Peter, never in my life have I eaten anything profane, anything unclean. There's a footnote here by Monsignor Knox. St. Peter seems to have interpreted the command as a direction to satisfy his hunger indiscriminately, although some of the creatures he saw were unclean, according to the Mosaic law. The text goes on. Then the voice came to him a second time. It is not for thee to call anything profane which God has made clean. Three times this happened, and then the bundle was drawn up again into heaven. Peter was still puzzling in his mind over the meaning of his vision, when Cornelius's messengers, who had now found their way to Simon's house, were seen standing at the gate, where they called out and asked if Simon, who was also called Peter, lodged there. To Peter, as he was turning over the vision in his mind, the Spirit said, Here are three men asking for thee. Rise and go down, and accompany them without misgiving. It is I who have sent them. So Peter went down to the men. Here I am, he said, the man you are looking for. What is your errand? The centurion Cornelius, they said, a man who worships the true God and keeps his law, as all the Jewish people will testify, has received a revelation from one of the holy angels. He was to have thee brought to his house, and listen to what thou wouldst say. Thereupon Peter bade them come in, and made them welcome. And next day he set out with them, accompanied by some of the brethren from Joppa. The day after that they reached Caesarea, where Cornelius was awaiting them. He had gathered his kinsmen and his closest friends about him. And as soon as Peter had entered, he was met by Cornelius, who fell at his feet and did reverence to him. But Peter raised him. Stand up, he said. I am a man like thyself. So he went in, still conversing with him, and found a great company assembled. You know well enough, he told them, that a Jew is contaminated if he consorts with one of another race or visits him. But God has been showing me 
that we ought not to speak of any man as profane or unclean. And so when I was sent for, I came without demur. Tell me then, why have you sent for me? And Cornelius said, Three days ago, at this very time, I was making my afternoon prayer in my house, when suddenly I saw a man standing before me in white clothes, who said to me, Cornelius, thy prayer has been heard, thy alms deeds have won remembrance in God's sight. Thou art to send a chopper, and summon thence that Simon who is also called Peter. He is lodging with a tanner called Simon, close to the sea. I lost no time, therefore, in sending for thee, and thou hast done me a favour in coming. Now thou seest us assembled in thy presence, ready to listen to whatever charge the Lord has given thee. Thereupon Peter began speaking. I see clearly enough, he said, that God makes no distinction between man and man. He welcomes anybody, whatever his race, who fears him and does what piety demands. God has sent his word to the sons of Israel, giving them news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You have heard the story, a story which ran through the whole of Judea, that began in Galilee after the baptism which John proclaimed, about Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, so that he went about doing good and curing all those who were under the devil's tyranny with God at his side. We are witnesses of all he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And they killed him, hanging him on a gibbet. But on the third day God raised him up again and granted the clear sight of him not to the people at large, but to us, the witnesses whom God had appointed beforehand. We ate and drank in his company after his rising from the dead. And he gave us a commission to preach to the people and to bear witness that he and none other has been chosen by God to judge the living and the dead. All the prophets bear him this testimony, that everyone who has faith in him is to find remission of sins through his name. Before Peter had finished speaking to them thus, the Holy Spirit fell on all those who were listening to his message. The faithful who had come over with Peter, holding to the tradition of circumcision as they did, were astonished to find that the free gift of the Holy Spirit could be lavished upon the Gentiles, whom they heard speaking with tongues and proclaiming the greatness of God. Then Peter said openly, Who will grudge us the water for baptizing these men that have received the Holy Spirit just as we did? And he gave orders that they should be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And after this they asked him to stay on some days with them. And now the apostles and brethren in Judea were told how the word of God had been given to the Gentiles. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those who held to the tradition of circumcision found fault with him. Why didst thou pay a visit, they asked, to men who are uncircumcised, and eat with them? Whereupon Peter told them the story, point by point, from the beginning. I was in the city of Joppa, he said, at my prayers, when I fell into a trance and saw a vision. A bundle, like a great sheet, came down from heaven, lowered by the four corners, 
till it reached me. I looked closely to find out what it was, and there I saw four-footed creatures of earth and wild beasts and creeping things and the birds that fly in heaven. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise up, Peter, lay about thee and eat. So I answered, It cannot be, Lord. Nothing profane or unclean has ever crossed my lips. And a second utterance came from heaven in answer, It is not for thee to call anything profane which God has made clean. Three times this happened, and then all was drawn up again into heaven. And at that very moment, three men appeared at the door of the house where I was, with a message to me from Caesarea. The Spirit bade me accompany them without misgiving. So these six brethren came with me, and together we entered the man's home. There he told us how he had had a vision of an angel in his house. This angel stood before him and said, Send to Joppa and bid Simon, who is also called Peter, come to thee. He will have such a message for thee as will bring salvation to thee and to all thy household. And then, when I had set about speaking to them, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, just as it was with us at the beginning. Then I was reminded of what the Lord said to us. John's baptism was with water, but there is a baptism with the Holy Spirit which you are to receive. And now, if God has made them the same free gift which he made to us when faith in the Lord Jesus had gone before it, who was I, what power had I, to stay God's hand? At these words they were content and gave glory to God. Why then, they said, it seems God has granted life-giving repentance of heart to the Gentiles too. Meanwhile, those who had been dispersed, owing to the persecution that was raised over Stephen, had travelled as far away as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch without preaching the word to anyone except the Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who, when they found their way to Antioch, spoke to the Greeks as well, preaching the Lord Jesus to them. And the Lord's power was with them, so that a great number learnt to believe and turned to the Lord. The story of this came to the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas on a mission to Antioch. When he came there and saw what grace God was bestowing on them, he was full of joy and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with steady purpose of heart, like the good man he was, full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith. A great multitude was thus won over to the Lord. He went on to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, brought him back to Antioch. For a whole year after this, they were made welcome in the church there, teaching a great multitude, and Antioch was the first place in which the disciples were called Christians. At this time, some prophets from Jerusalem visited Antioch, and one of these, Agabus by name, stood up and prophesied through the Spirit that a great famine was to come upon the whole world, as it did in the reign of the Emperor Claudius. Thereupon it was decided that each of the disciples should contribute according to his means to send relief to the brethren who lived in Judea. And so they did, and in sending it to the presbyters, they entrusted it to the hands of Barnabas and Saul.
It was at this same time that Herod exerted his authority to persecute some of those who belonged to the church. James, the brother of John, he beheaded. And then, finding that this was acceptable to the Jews, he went further and laid hands on Peter too. It was the time of unleavened bread, and he imprisoned Peter after arresting him with a guard of four soldiers relieved four times a day. When Paschal time was over, he would bring him out in the presence of the people. Peter then was well guarded in prison, but there was a continual stream of prayer going up to God from the church on his behalf. And now the day was coming when Herod was to bring him out. That night Peter was sleeping with two chains on him between two soldiers and there were warders at the door guarding his prison. Suddenly an angel of the Lord stood over him and a light shone in his cell. He smote Peter on the side to rouse him. Quick, he said, rise up. And thereupon the chains fell from his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird thyself up and put on thy shoes. And when he done this, throw thy cloak over thee and follow me. So he followed him out, unaware that what the angel had done for him was true. He thought he was seeing a vision. Thus they passed one party of guards, then a second, and reached the iron gate which leads out into the city. This opened for them of its own accord. They came out, and as soon as they had passed on up one street, the angel left him. At this, Peter came to himself. Now I can tell for certain, he said, that the Lord has sent his angel to deliver me out of Herod's hands, and from all that the people of the Jews hoped to see. After some thought, he made for the house belonging to Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark. Here many had gathered for prayer. A girl named Rhoda came to answer when he knocked at the porch door, and she, recognizing Peter's voice, was too overjoyed to open the gate for him. She ran in and told them that Peter was standing at the gate. Thou art mad, they told her, but she still insisted that it was so. And then they said, it must be his guardian angel. Meanwhile, Peter went on knocking. So they opened and found him there and stood astonished. Calling for silence by a gesture of his hand, he told them how the Lord had delivered him from prison. Give news of this, he said, to James and the rest of the brethren. And so he left them and went elsewhere. Mancini Knox has put a footnote in here. He says, Elsewhere implying evidently that he put himself outside Herod's jurisdiction. It seems probable that St. Luke kept silence about St. Peter's movements out of caution. He may have gone to Rome at this time, but his immediate destination was perhaps Antioch. The text goes on. When day broke, there was a great to-do among the soldiers to know what had become of Peter. Herod, after searching for him without avail, questioned the warders, and had them punished. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea, and spent his time there. He was much out of humour with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and these, since their country depended on the king's country for its supplies, waited upon him by common consent, and tried, by winning over Blastus, the royal chamberlain, to make their peace. So, on an appointed day, 
Herod put on his royal finery and sat down on a raised dais to harangue them. Whereupon the people cried out in applause, It is no man, it is a God that speaks. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him for not referring the glory to God, and he was eaten up by worms, and so died. And still the word of God grew strong and spread wide. Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem, their mission of relief fulfilled, and took John, also called Mark, in their company. The church at Antioch had as his prophets and teachers Barnabas and Simon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manahan, foster brother of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. These were offering worship to God and fasting, when the Holy Spirit said, I must have Barnabas and Saul dedicated to the work to which I have called them. Thereupon they fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, and so took leave of them. And they, sent on their travels by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia, and from there took ship for Cyprus. So they reached Salamis, where they preached God's word in the Jewish synagogues. They had John, too, to help them. And when they had been through the whole island up to Paphos, they encountered there a magician who claimed to be a prophet, a Jew named Bar-Jesus. He was in the company of the governor, Sergius Paulus, a man of good sense, who had sent for Barnabas and Saul, and asked if he might hear the word of God. And Elymas, the magician, that is what his name means when translated, there's a footnote here, it says, The magician is a translation not of Bar-Jesus, but of Elymas, a name which Bar-Jesus had adopted. I go back to the text. And Elymas, the magician, that is what his name means when translated, opposed them, trying to turn the governor away from the faith. Then Saul, whose other name is Paul, there's another footnote here. The name of Paul is here mentioned for the first time, probably because it was the name he used when travelling in Gentile countries. I go back to the text. Then Saul, whose other name is Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, fastened his eyes on him and said, Child of the devil, versed in all trickery and cunning, enemy of all honest dealing, wilt thou never have done with trying to twist the straight paths of the Lord? See then, if the hand of the Lord does not fall upon thee now, thou shalt become blind and see the sun no more for a while. At this, a dark mist fell upon him, and he had to go about looking for someone to lead him by the hand. And now the governor, seeing what had happened, and overcome with awe at the Lord's teaching, learnt to believe. After this, Paul and his companions took ship from Paphos and made for Perge in Pamphylia. Here John left them and went back to Jerusalem. They passed on from Perge and reached Pisidian Antioch, where they went and took their seats in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. When the reading from the law and the prophets was finished, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them to say, Brethren, if you have in your hearts any word of encouragement for the people, let us hear it. Then Paul stood up, 
and made a gesture with his hand to claim audience. Listen, he said, men of Israel, and all you who worship the true God. The God of this people of Israel chose out our fathers and made his people great at the time when they were strangers in the land of Egypt, stretching out his arm to deliver them from it. For forty years he bore with their hard hearts in the wilderness. Then he overthrew seven nations in the land of Canaan, whose lands he gave them for an inheritance. By now, some four hundred and fifty years had passed, and after this he appointed judges over them up to the time of the prophet Samuel. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, son of Sis, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, who reigned forty years but afterwards dispossessed him and raised up David to be their king. To him he gave this testimony, I have found in David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will accomplish all that is my will. It is out of this man's posterity, according to the promise made to him, that God has brought us a saviour, Jesus. John had prepared the way for his coming by proclaiming a baptism in which all the people of Israel was to repent. But John himself, when he was coming to the end of his life's course, told them, I am not what you suspect me to be. Look rather for one who comes after me. I am not worthy to untie the shoes on his feet. Brethren, you who are sons of Abraham, and you others who fear God, this message of salvation is sent to you. The people of Jerusalem, like their rulers, did not recognize Jesus for what he was. Unwittingly, they fulfilled, by condemning him, those utterances of the prophets which they had heard read, Sabbath after Sabbath. And although they could find no capital charge against him, they petitioned Pilate for his death. So, when they had fulfilled all that had been written about him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. And on the third day God raised him from the dead. He was seen over a space of many days by the men who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. It is they who now bear witness of him before the people. And this is the message we preach to you. There was a promise made to our forefathers, and this promise God has redeemed for our posterity, by raising Jesus to life. Thus it is written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, I have begotten thee this day. And this is how he describes raising him from the dead, never to return to corruption again. I will grant you the privileges I have promised to David. To which purpose he says in another psalm, Thou wilt not allow thy faithful servant to see corruption. David saw corruption, he served God's purpose in his own generation and then fell asleep and rested with his fathers. But he whom God raised to life saw no corruption at all. Here is news for you then, brethren. Remission of your sins is offered to you through him. There are claims from which you could not be acquitted by the law of Moses, and whoever believes in Jesus is quit of all these. Beware, then, of incurring the prophet's rebuke. Look upon this, you scornful souls, and lose yourselves in astonishment. Such wonders I am doing in your days, that if a man told you the story, you would not believe him. As they left, they were implored to preach the same message there on the next Sabbath. <laughs> 
And when the synagogue broke up, many Jews and many who worshipped the true God as proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, and they preached to them, urging them to be true to the grace of God. On the following Sabbath, almost all the city had assembled to hear God's word. The Jews, when they saw these crowds, were full of indignation and began to argue blasphemously against all that Paul said. Whereupon Paul and Barnabas told them roundly, We were bound to preach God's words to you first, but now, since you reject it, since you declare yourselves unfit for eternal life, be it so, we will turn our thoughts to the Gentiles. This, after all, is the charge the Lord has given us. I have appointed thee to be a light for the Gentiles, that thou mayst bring salvation to the ends of the earth. The Gentiles were rejoiced to hear this, and praised the word of the Lord, and they found faith, all those of them who were destined to eternal life. And the word of the Lord spread far and wide all through the country. But the Jews used influence with such women of fashion as worshipped the true God, and with the leading men in the city, setting on foot a persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and driving them out of their territory. So they shook off the dust from their feet as they left them, and went on to Iconium. The disciples, meanwhile, were filled with rejoicing and with the Holy Spirit. While they were at Iconium, they went into the Jewish synagogue together and preached in such a way that a great number, both of Jews and of Greeks, found faith, although the Jews who would not believe stirred up trouble among the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. For a long time then they remained there, speaking boldly in the Lord's name, while he attested the preaching of his grace by allowing signs and wonders to be performed by their means. The common folk of the city were divided in opinion, some taking part with the Jews and some with the apostles. Then, when both Gentiles and Jews, in concert with their rulers, made a movement to assault and stone them, they thought it best to take refuge in the Lycaonian cities, Lystra and Derbe, and the country round them, and they preached the gospel there. There was a lame man sitting at Lystra, crippled from birth, so that he had never walked, who listened to Paul's preaching. And Paul, looking closely at him, and seeing that there was saving faith in him, said aloud, Stand upright on thy feet. Whereupon he sprang up and began to walk. The multitudes, seeing what Paul had done, cried out in the Lycaonian dialect, It is the gods who have come down to us in human shape. They called Barnabas Jupiter and Paul Mercury, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Jupiter, defender of the city, brought out bulls and wreaths to the gates, eager, like the multitude, to do sacrifice. The apostles tore their garments when they heard of it, and both Barnabas and Paul ran out among the multitude, crying aloud, Sirs, why are you doing all this? We too are mortal men like yourselves. The whole burden of our preaching is that you must turn away from follies like this to the worship of the living God, who made sky and earth and sea and all that is in them. In the ages that are past, he has allowed Gentile folk everywhere to follow their own devices. Yet even so, 
He has not left us without some proof of what he is. It is his bounty that grants us rain from heaven and the seasons which give birth to our crops, so that we have nourishment and comfort to our heart's desire. With words like this, they persuaded the people, not easily, to refrain from offering sacrifice to them. But some of the Jews from Antioch and Iconium had followed them. These won over the multitude to their side, and they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, leaving him there for dead. But the disciples formed a ring about him, and soon he rose up and went back into the city. Next day he left with Barnabas for Derbe. In that city too they preached and made many disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium and Antioch, where they fortified the spirits of the disciples, encouraging them to be true to the faith and telling them that we cannot enter the kingdom of heaven without many trials. Then with fasting and prayer they appointed presbyters for them in each of the churches and commended them to the care of the Lord in whom they learnt to believe. So they passed through Pisidia and reached Pamphylia. They preached the word of the Lord in Perge and went down to Italia, taking ship there for Antioch, where they had been committed to God's grace for the work they had now achieved. On their arrival, they called the church together and told the story of all God had done to aid them and how, through faith, he had left a door open for the Gentiles, and they stayed there a considerable time with the disciples. The reading of the Acts of the Apostles now continues on the next cassette.